Welcome. This is Karen Modakaitis, and you're listening to How She Really Does It, the place where inspiration and possibility meet. All right. Hello, my friend. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty darn well. Life is good. Life is good. And don't worry, there are always shit shows. <laughs> there always are shit shows, but life is good. I'm really thrilled because I just started my new group called Be the Leader of Your Life. And it's been a group I've been wanting to do. It's an advanced group. And I'm so excited to talk about an amazing group of people. And it's for those people who were overwhelmed because there's not enough time. There's so much to do and lots of opportunities. And they're going to go from that to where they really can trust themselves and be confident with who they are and how they choose to lead their life, which is like everything we talk about, right? Instead of the cultural programming that we've been so programmed to do of really you being the leader of your life. And here's my takeaway for you, my friend. You may say, oh, but Corinne, I'm just a mom, or I'm just a teacher, or I'm just a nurse. Like, stop with all of that just. There's another podcast episode that I talked about getting rid of that word. You are a leader. If you're a mom, you're leading your family. If you're a teacher, you're leading your classroom. If you're a nurse, you're leading your patient. You're helping them. We are all leaders. We just become afraid of it. We don't want to embrace it. We're like, oh, I don't have the title. Or somebody hasn't given me that title. Leaders aren't necessarily designated leaders. Oftentimes you show up and you become the leader. So don't discount yourself by saying, oh, that word doesn't, it's not part of my vocabulary. Instead, I invite you to embrace it and you lead this one beautiful, precious life that we have aligned with your values and your priorities, not mine, not somebody else's, not how you've been programmed, not by Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch. How often did I let her lead my life? And it wasn't even her. It was the writers of the show of what I thought a mom's supposed to be, especially a mom of a blended family. So my friend, go out, be the leader of your life. All right. Next thing, one of my most popular downloads on my website is the Mindset Practice workbook. Go and get that. And when you sign up for that, you're going to also get my weekly emails, the Friday podcast and the Sunday love. Totally well worth it. There are little bite sizes of this coaching wisdom to help you give you insight to like take it and go, oh yeah, give you that little bit of perspective as we go through all of our shit shows. So the mindset journal, go and do it. Do the work that's in that workbook. And then you'll get those updates in your email inbox. And if you signed up and you're like, but wait, I haven't gotten anything from Corinne Modokaitis, then take a look in your spam or in your Google account and maybe in the promotions and make sure you get that because there's a lot of good juicy content in there for you, my friend. All right. Now it's time to do a shout out. I'm so, so excited. We have this listener from all the way down in New Zealand. I did not go to New Zealand. I thought about it on my trip to Australia, but I did not go. Instead, I went to Sydney and did work there. But New Zealand is totally on my bucket list and I will be going there. Anyways, our iTunes review comes from Cottage Dweller 2018. 
And she leaves five stars and says, I've been listening to how she really does it for a few years now. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate the openness of the host as well as her thoughtful approach to life. I like hearing interviews, but I'm so pleased she is doing a lot more solo shows now. My constant companion when gardening, the show has helped me overcome my perfectionism and has made me see that I'm pretty darn amazing just as I am. Thank you, Corinne, for all your years of amazing work on the show. Yay, you cottage dweller. I'm so excited that you see and you recognize that you are amazing just as you are. We all have areas to work on. We all have areas to improve. And when we can stop indulging in the I'm not good enough, or I'm a loser, or there's something wrong with me, or I'm bad, or I am broken, and really set out into our life to see what's possible for us. That's what's so fun and exciting and scary. (laughs) It is absolutely scary. So Cottage Dweller, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yay, you, my friend. And I'm so glad that you've stuck with me through the transitions of the show. And there's always the archives of the interviews if you want to tap into my guest wisdom as well. Okay, so today we're talking about what skepticism is costing you. And a while ago, I was working at a town and I was thinking about it in one morning because I like to spend time with my brain. And I'm one of those brains that likes to think a lot. But anyways, I used to really embrace and think, oh, this is such a great badge to have to be skeptical. And I was thinking about my own life and how that cost me, how that hurt me, how that created obstacles for me. And I think about that with my clients and with my Aquamonster parents. Kids don't tend to be as skeptical, but it's more the parents that can be skeptical. There are still kids. And then the older athletes. Again, one of the things about the show that I've talked about is always going behind the green curtain, what's really going on. And I think it's great to have critical thinking skills. It's just when we dial it up into skepticism it gets in our way. And so what I've learned and what I've seen in my own life and with the clients and the all the parents that I've worked with, you know, over the last, gosh, what, 25 years is it really slows things down. When you're skeptical, it slows things down. And what I mean by that is that your process is going to take much longer. Now, if you're beating yourself up because you're like, gosh, I should have been doing this a year ago, or why is this taking so long? Is it not possible for me? I want you to go in and check in. Are you skeptical? Are you not trusting of certain things? Are you always looking for what's the hidden thing in there that I'm not seeing? So skepticism slows things down and it adds more obstacles. And usually the obstacles is our own brain. It's those stories of like, well, they're going to try to take me for something. This isn't going to work. And then it's that distrust. And then it's like, then you finally get into these stories of, well, I can't trust anyone. And it's just this downward spiral, or you're always looking for how somebody's going to screw you. Do you know how that is? I was raised in a family of origin where that was the training. I remember my grandmother said to me, and my grandmother was a housewife. My grandfather was a longshoreman. And when they would take the car in, I think they had one car. They always had one car. When they take the car into the garage to get fixed, she would sit in the garage to make sure they did it correctly. And so there's a huge cost to her because that amount of time to sit there while somebody's working on your car, they're probably not feeling so good about this customer (laughs) watching over her shoulder. And she has no idea what they're doing. 
but it was like her skepticism. They're going to screw me. It cost her time. They probably weren't thrilled to see her and have her come in. So they probably, the quality of their work may just have been diminished a bit just because there's that burden of shame that's in the air. And she always was worried about being cheated. So that's what she constantly looked for in her life. So when you look at skepticism, what is it costing you? How does it slow down what you want in your life? How does it add obstacles in your life? The other thing it does is it gets in your way, right? Skepticism. We think, oh, this is so great. I'm looking for that. How they're going to get me. What is it? But it gets in your way because your focus, like my grandmother sitting there, is on something else. Would she know if they were missing a screw? Would she know if they weren't doing correctly? the job. I wouldn't know. I have to trust. I choose to trust my mechanics. I've got these great mechanics who work on our cars and I trust them and they're part of my team. And I'm so thankful for them because the last thing I want to do is work on my cars. It's the last thing. I'm not at all interested. I'm so thankful that they're a part of my team. So skepticism gets in your way. It creates a lot of brain juice drama. Will it work? Will it not work? This won't even work for me. This isn't going to be possible, right? It can be limiting beliefs. I had a client who was like, well, why even try? It's not even going to work for me. That skepticism is costing her the results that she really, really wants. It's creating those obstacles. And then what happens is that it becomes justification of why you shouldn't pursue the result that you want, whether it's the goal that you want, the result that you want, or the dreams that you have. And my friend, I know we have these dreams inside of us and they sit there and we disregard them because we're skeptical. So then we numb with Netflix. Some of you numb with wine or with drinking or numb with busy. And it's still there, that voice of, oh, but this is what I really want to do. This is who I really want to be. Or yes, I got out of a marriage and I'm now divorced and I don't want to have a marriage like that but I want to have a loving, committed relationship. Oh, but I'm not going to do it because I can go back to that, right? So skepticism allows eventually justification that "Mm, don't even have it. It's okay. You're fine here. This is fine. But then those becomes the numbing that we go through. And guess what? What you really want is still there. It's, It's not like your brain goes, oh, I didn't want that. I love looking back at my old journals. Oh my gosh. I love looking back at my old journals and seeing stuff. I'm like, oh, I was talking about this a few years ago. Like be the leader of your life, for instance. When I go back and I look at my old journals, I'm like, oh, this isn't like some new concept. This isn't some new course that I've created. This has been something that I've been writing about since 2015. 2015, you guys. It's 2019. It's almost 2020 right? This has been the direction, you know, believe to achieve is something that I used to say to my athletes back in the nineties, 1990s. It was a different century. So it's always been inside of me. And sometimes I forget about it. I put it in the back burner. It's kind of like something that's pushed to the back of the pantry or, you know, a utensil that maybe that you've kind of forgotten about using all the time. And it's, you know, pushed back and you go, Oh, this is my favorite. I love to use this. So what's the cost? of skepticism to you, it slows things down. It gets in your way. And then we use it as justification of why you shouldn't pursue your dreams. And really you think it's keeping you safe, 
But what it does is it provides a narrow vision instead of like, hey, why not me? Or what could I do that works within the given constraints of my current life? What is it that I can do? What is it that I can learn from this? What is it that I can take a nugget and then apply to my life where it can make a ripple of change, make all the difference for my life? And so when you can open up that vision, instead of having that narrow vision, there's so many opportunities that happen. And then yes, of course, you must commit to the best case scenario and manage risk. So, so important, right? The managing risk. I'm never saying, oh, just leap in the net will appear. I had a lot of shows on that, especially in the early years of the show. So it's not about leap in the net will appear. It's about commit to the best case scenario and manage risk. And this is really important because When I think about skepticism, I think about the other end of the pendulum, which is gullible, being gullible, like, oh, yes, oh, yes. Like I, for one, I remember in 2003, we didn't have cable in my home and we were in Alaska at this like amazing house. We stayed in this amazing house on the Kenai Peninsula on the river and I had little kids. So let's see, my youngest two were three and one and a half. And I had a 13-year-old and a 15-year-old. And so here we're on this Kenai Peninsula. My husband's running a swim clinic up there. And I'm working out. There was some machine. I was working out and there was like TV. I'm like, wow, there's cable. This is amazing. And there are these infomercials. I was, my husband would come home every day. I'm like, oh my gosh, we need to buy this, right? So I could swing from being skeptical to being gullible. Like, oh yes, must buy. But notice when I say the pendulum of skepticism to gullible, there's that space in between. And that, my friend, is where we want to land. That's where critical thinking is. And that's where you're going to have much more broader perspective. And I call that the compassionate observer. We limit perceptual blindness and we're able to see the whole thing and saying, hey, how could this work for me? What are the strengths? What are the things that wouldn't resonate or actually wouldn't be doing? And creating that space in between skepticism and gullible, which are on opposite ends of the spectrum or pendulum, as I've been saying, and instead creating the space to have critical thinking, creating the space to test it out. Like, okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to go out and try this and test it out. I'm going to manage risk. I was reading a book this morning and I'm like, I'm not quite sure about this author. And actually this book is like a very famous book. If I told you the title, you know, it's been on the New York Times. I'm sure it's been on the New York Times bestseller. Every time I go to airports, I see it, you know, I've been hearing about it. It's been around for a few years and oh my gosh, is my skeptic. I'm like, seriously, who is he? What does he know? I don't know about this. And then I just keep reminding myself, Corinne, be open, be open. What can you learn? And he said something in there and I'm like, I'm really fascinated with this concept. And I went and sat down and I wrote about it and I'm really processing it because there's something in them that resonated. And again, if I'm a believer that life is a classroom, even if it's somebody I disagree with or I may not totally trust, I can still learn from them so that I can be that compassionate observer and be able to grab the nuggets that can be really pivotal in my own life. In addition to testing it out, it's also about managing the risk. That part is really, really important. When I say test it out, it's always 
manage the risk. That comes into it. Commit to the best case scenario. Go and do it. Go take action and manage risk. What gets people in a lot of trouble is when they don't manage risk. When they go and like, okay, I'm going to throw everything at it. They may not be risk tolerant. And then they're going to take, you know, the next three months of mortgage and that's all the savings they have and go try something, but they don't really believe in it. They haven't managed the risk and their biggest fears are coming about. And I'm not a high risk tolerant person, as you may be able to figure out, that would not be something that I would do. But manage the risk, whatever the risk is for you, manage that. That's really, really important. And I've heard about, I think it was Warren Buffett, where he talks about managing the risk, right? Then how important that is managing the losses also to help manage the gains. The other thing that's important is that after you take that action and you test it out, then you have the space to evaluate, right? I didn't say to criticize. I said to evaluate afterwards what worked well, what didn't work well, what needs improvement, what do you like, what do you not like, and really do it again from this compassionate space. What worked well and what needs improvement is a very compassionate way of unpacking something. Don't make judgments. Really allow yourself the space to let yourself evaluate afterwards. And then it's probably not you throw it all out. It's what tweaks can be made. So what we're doing is we're assessing the situation. You're getting clarity on what you want and knowing the stories that can be holding you back. As a skeptic, you may say, well, will this even work? I'm not this or I'm not that or this is a scam. So you've already made these obstacles in your path without even being able to check in and say, hey, what can I learn from this? So what you want to do is get clarity on what you want and know these stories that are holding you back. Make a decision as you manage risk and then commit to it. And here's the thing. What I know in my heart is that when you get open, you can get clear on what you want and you make a decision and you can commit yourself fully to show up in your life. And my friend, We want to show up. We really, really do. We're just afraid of when you show up, what that will mean. Well, you'll fall down. It's not like you live in this promised land. So it's not this magical wand, right? And now like you're living in the promised land and there's no problems and obstacles because that's never been the promise. But it's amazing when you show up in your life and you really go after what your heart desires. And that's why you want to let go of skepticism because skepticism gets in the way of your heart desires and creating what you want. So now it's your turn. I want you to test this out for yourself because we get results by doing, not just by consuming, but by doing. And I want you to grab a pen and a paper. And I'm a huge fan of writing things down. And I know you're going to say, but Corinne, I'm in my car or I'm working out. I get all that. Come back to this. But I want you to write down all your skeptic thoughts on whatever it is that you're trying to do, right? Whatever you're interested in, write down all your skeptic thoughts, just let it out. And here's my constraint for you. Keep it in bullet points. Really, really important because it's easier to read and go back and reflect on. And then next review each thought and ask yourself, and this is really important. Is it absolutely true? And here's your other constraint. It's a yes or a no answer. It's not a maybe. It's not a depends with the long story behind it. Is it absolutely true? So for instance, oh, I'm going to get scammed. Is that absolutely true? I don't know if it's absolutely true. That's a belief I have. So the answer would be no. So then I want you to write, what are the true beliefs? 
So with that exact example is, well, I'm going to manage risk and I'm going to listen and be open and see what I can learn. And if this resonates with me, other true beliefs is I can learn something. There is a lesson here. This could be a valuable experience. Then get clear on what your intention is, what you want and make a decision of what you will do. Know the risk you want to manage, commit to it, and then go do it. And then afterwards you evaluate what worked well, what needs improvement. So this can even be applied to a simple thing like swimming. So say you're one of my parents who is so proud of yourself because you're like, hey, my kid needs to be on swimming because that's an important life skill. And yes, I'm on it. My friends do this program. We're going to do it. And at first your kid loves it, right? And they're like, this is great. And so now you're feeling like proud parent moment. Oh my God, I'm so amazing. I really know my kid and it's great. That's all fantastic. And this is really how it goes. And then one day, and you even come and tell me, oh my gosh, Karen, this program's so amazing. It's changing our lives. This is great. I'm like, okay. And then one day they come up to me and they go, well, my kid doesn't want to come to practice. They really hate it. They get mad at me. And I always say to them, we never evaluate on the drop-off. We evaluate on the pickup, right? Because their skeptic comes in and goes, oh, I'm going to push my kids or this isn't really going to work or, you know, we don't need to keep doing this, whatever the thoughts may be. And I always ask them, why do you have them do this? Sometimes it's because they want them to be more proficient. They want them to be water safe. Two is they want them to exercise because their kids sleep better. Or three is this is just their movement that they have chosen as a family to do. And so I'm like, okay, you're really clear about that. So you never look at it going into the so-called practice because the kid doesn't want to go to practice sometimes. I mean, that's totally normal. How many of us want are like, oh, yippee, skippy, I get to go work out, especially when it's cold outside and the water, you know, it's going to be fine when she's in the water, but it never feels good that first hundred yards to jump in the water. You old swimmers know what I'm talking about. So the kid is not going to want to do that. Plus, if they've been in school all day, they're like, I don't want to be told what to do. I just want to go home and play my video games. And so then as a parent, you're like, oh, but I'm being a bad parent. And there's this burnout stuff and all this drama is happening in your brain. So what I always tell parents to do is never evaluate on the drop off because that's where all the judgments are. What you want to do is evaluate on the pickup. And you evaluate knowing your reasons why, what worked well, what didn't work well. You know, is my kid happier? 99% of the time, their child is happier after practice than before practice. So this skepticism, letting it go for just even a swim team can work. It can be for, you know, food you may want to try. It could be for a restaurant. It could be going to a conference. It could be reading a book, letting go of skepticism so that you can really enjoy the experience and gather information from the experience of what works well for you and what doesn't work well for you. But when you hold on to skepticism, what it's costing you are your dreams. What it's costing you are the life that you really want to live. So skepticism is costing you and it's putting a burden, it's weighing you down and it's creating a lot of noise versus getting really clear about what it is that you want committing to it, managing the risk, taking action and evaluating and seeing what works for you and what doesn't work for you, what you can learn and what the growth is. So I know you may think, but Corinne, skepticism is helpful. I get it. I was there for a really long time. I was like, oh no, I really get it. But 
I found out it got in my way. It slowed things down and it gave me an excuse to not show up and pursue my dreams. It cost me for a long time and my dreams still kept sitting there. But then the message to me was, see, Corinne, it's not possible for you. And one of the things I've had this show since 2006 is that I want you to see what is possible for you. Because my friend, whether it's me or any guest I've had on the show is if it's possible for them, what is possible for you? What is possible for you? All right, you guys, until next time, I'm smiling big for you. Hey, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, you'll love my weekly emails. I know you're thinking, Corinne, really? Do I want another email in my overflowing inbox? Yes, you do. Yippee, skippy, you do. These are short. They're sweet. On Fridays, I send out the Friday podcast. It's a great reminder that there's a new show and it comes straight into your inbox of the latest episode. Awesome. You click on it, you go straight because we all need reminders. We have busy full lives. And then on Sundays, I have my Sunday love column. And these are emails I write from the heart. They're filled with love. We need more love. We all do, myself included. These are short emails where you get a quick takeaway so you can incorporate this into your life because people often want to know what to do and how to do it. And maybe sometimes it's a story that you get, or there's like one time I wrote about the 10 ways to practice gratitude. And that became such a great tool when one of the readers was struggling in the middle of the night, because it can be a scary place in our brains in the middle of the night. And she remembered the email that I sent about 10 ways to practice gratitude. And she was able to practice gratitude and fall back asleep. And that was an awesome lesson for her to incorporate into her life. Go to the show notes and there's a link in the show notes where you can sign up and get these emails in your box. On a lake, she is dreaming, she is drifting, never been so well.